Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Today we are in the book of Galatians. I want to welcome you to our 11 o'clock service. Uh, for those of you that have been with us for a while, you're going to find this service uh, very interesting, very interesting message, uh, because for the last few months, the last three chapters of the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul has been talking about that it's grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, and he was warning the people not to go back to the law. But my message today is the purpose of the law, the purpose of the law. And the Apostle Paul, which means me as well, we're going to have to backtrack a little bit and show you that there was a reason why the people of Israel uh, were given the law. Uh, Paul has devalued, he's degraded the law, and he's going to have to kind of step back a little bit and show that there actually was a, a purpose, find a positive role for, for the law. So we're going to begin today by reading uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 19 through 25. It's in your bulletin. It's going to be on the screen as well. Paul says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if, if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been given by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, there is no longer, we are no longer under a, a tutor. You know, when the Bible refers to the law, it can actually refer to a number of different things, a number of different things. For example, we have the Ten Commandments. That's part of the law. We have the first five books called the Pentateuch. That's called the Law of Moses. Uh, but sometimes the law refers to everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Now, the Hebrew word for law um, is Torah, and the Greek word is nomos. The basic meaning is to provide a direction or for instruction. This Greek word nomos is the root word of the words normal. Normally, you can see how that applies, that the law would provide normative, how things should normally go. That's what the law is about. Uh, the words Torah and nomos appear over 400 times in the Bible. For example, in uh, Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In, in Psalm uh, chapter 1, verse, 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 uh, verse 1 and verse 2 of Psalm 1, talks about the blessed man. And it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, an example in the Bible of how the law refers to the entire Old Testament um, is in a question that uh, the, the Pharisees asked Jesus. And we see this in, in uh, John chapter 12, verse 34. 
the people answered him. And they said, we have heard from the law, there's that word, from the law, that this Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Now, you can search through the Pentateuch, the first five books. You can go through all of the prophets or all, all of the law, and you won't find this verse until you get to the book of Micah, one of the minor prophets. In fact, it's a verse that you well know. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth, that's the idea of eternity. God was there in the beginning and the end, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting, from everlasting. So this is an example of how the Jews would use the word law to refer any, to anything in the scriptures. Now, this is not how Paul is using it. Paul is actually using a much more narrow idea of the law. He's primarily talking about circumcision. He's talking about the, the law of Israel, where they would have to go to the temple, the dietary law, the idea of, of observing the Sabbath. This is what Paul is talking about. And he, he starts us off in verse 19. Paul says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. So Paul's saying that the law, which came 430 years later, was added because of, of transgressions. And it was a, a typical occasion, okay? Can you imagine what occasion it was? Well, if you remember back to Sunday school, the people of Israel, okay, were led out of Egypt by Moses. And just as soon as they get over into the desert, they come to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up, leaves the rest of the people of Israel down. They've only been out of Egypt for a very, very short period of time. Moses is up conversing with God, getting the Ten Commandments. What happens, right? Moses is coming down the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments with him, right? And the Lord tells Moses, he says, Moses, everything's not so good. Moses said, I'm sorry, the Lord said, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What a slap in the face. God had just taken them out of Egypt and he's up, he's up talking to Moses, giving them the Ten Commandments and the people are dancing around this golden calf. Now, if you continue and read that story, actually there's a very humorous part of the story because uh, Moses sees Aaron and he says, where did they get this golden calf? And Aaron says, well, they wanted something to worship. I told them to give me the gold. I threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf, okay? So kind of humorous, but this calf came out, he says. Um, so, so that's how they get it. But this is the transgression. This is the event just prior to the Lord giving them the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, Moses broke the commandments, had to go back up on the mountain and speak to the Lord and, and come back down the mountain with the Ten Commandments again. So let's get back to our verse today. Paul says that the, these commandments, this law was added because of transgressions. Transgressions, these are, these are sins. These are things that are, are evil. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. Uh, these transgressions, that was the idol worship. You know, the Lord is very, very serious, very serious about being the one and only God. In fact, we see this in the Ten Commandments that, that Moses brought down. We're going to go through the Ten Commandments and we're going to test you a little bit later. So first of all, the first two, right? 
It's the first two, the first one is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods, no other gods before me. The second commandment is, you shall not make of yourself any carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or the earth below. So the idea is that God wants the people to be his people. And he's very serious about who he is and who they are to worship. That means they're not to, to worship Moloch, they're not to worship Baal or anybody else, they're not to, supposed to dance around some golden calf. Um, but it was added because of transgressions. So I think we can look at these two commandments as part of the law that was given because of transgressions. Paul says it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, that mediator is none other than Paul. One of the things about the, the law is not only does it tell you what sin is, but then provides a mediator, an opportunity to be able to get right with God. Not truly righteousness, but to atone for your sins through the priesthood for a, a period of time. Now, um, the Lord, by the way, wasn't surprised that the people were dancing around this calf. He knew exactly what was going on because he is the Lord God, knows the beginning from the end. Now let's go on and take a closer look at the next couple of verses. Verses 21 and 22. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given by those who believe. Now you know, one of the words that the Bible uses, it says that, that we are confined, confined by the law. Um, uh, some of you don't like being confined. My wife is like that. I mean, even when we were dating, if I held her too tight, she would pull away. Not because she didn't like me, I think, but it was because she doesn't like the idea about being confined. You understand this, don't you, Rhoda? You don't like being confined. You don't like being, being all by yourself. And this is, what the law, this is what the law does. It means that we are confined. We're held. One of the translations says that we're kept under guard. The law actually shows us how, how sinful we are. How would the people know that dancing around a golden calf or sacrificing the Baal was not permitted unless the law was given? Now, interestingly, the, the law applies both to the Jews as well as the Gentiles, even the Gentiles that don't have the law. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans clarifies this. Paul writes about the law and he says, even those without the law are equally guilty. Romans 1 says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen so that they are without excuse. You know, all of us can go outside and just look at the wonder of the universe. The wonder of the universe, you wonder what happened. I mean, how did this all happen? I remember years ago, remember the world of energy before Ellen? Okay, before Ellen, there was a, one of the Musketeers, one of the people from Disney would get up there and they'd start off the show by saying, who knows how the universe began, right? It's a rhetorical question and I would raise my hand. <laughs> I know, it's the Lord, right? Of course, it would be very embarrassing for my wife, but that was just kind of a bonus, right? That she would be embarrassed, right? But, but I would raise my hand. It's not a rhetorical question at all. The Lord God, he created the, the heavens and the earth. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that there's somebody out there that's greater than you. Now, but that puts us in a catch-22 situation because if you know that there's somebody out there, what are you doing to worship that person? What are you doing to find out who that truly is? That reminds me, back, uh, back years ago, speaking of my wife, Years ago, my wife and I went to a, we're in a sermon and we heard about, about fasting and prayer. It's the first time we really heard about fasting. And, I, and the, the pastor was very persuasive because we came home and we felt, you know, that's something we should do. 
we should go ahead and try to, to fast. Well, I don't know if you've ever tried this, okay? But I can tell you that as soon as we declared a fast, I became so hungry. I mean, I, I, I was ravenous. I mean, everything in the house that was edible, I ate. You know, candy, soda, cookies, anything that was edible, I ate. Because that's how the law is. The law so often understands how you'll never achieve what the law tries to present. Never achieve. Uh, we, we fail. My wife and I both fail miserably. Um, but this is what standards are for. It, it shows us what God wants from us, what he expects from us. And we, and we fall short. We always fall short. That's why the Jews had a mediator, a, a Jewish priest. But aren't you thankful that we are no longer under the law of sin and death. The seed has come. That's Jesus Christ. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. The standard is still high, but, but we don't have to worry about the standard because God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says the law was a, a gatekeeper. The scriptures tell us now that we're free from the, the law of sin and death. Let's continue. I think verse 23 is up there. It is. But before faith came... We were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our, our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, for after faith has come, we are no longer under a, a tutor. I want to talk a little bit about this idea of being under the law, under a, a guard. You know, the Bible says it's almost like being in prison and having a gatekeeper. My, when my brother and I were growing up, we never felt like we were in prison, but there was no doubt that my mother was the warden, okay? There was, there was no doubt. And we knew who the warden was and who was, who was in charge. You know, every family has rules, and we had lots of rules. You know, the typical rules. We had, we had rules like no toys at the table, don't sit closer than five feet from the TV, uh, no gum chewing, don't run with scissors. Now, that rule actually made sense. Um, uh, no swimming for one hour after eating. What's that about? What's that about? Um, we had to be in the house by the time the streetlights came on. Now, that was a catch-22 because we never knew quite when the streetlights were going to come on. But if they came on, we were already supposed to be home. Uh, nothing good happens after the sun goes down. That's one of my mom's favorite sayings. Uh, bedtime was 8.30 for us. Lots of rules, lots of rules. And it, it bothered us because there were many things that our friends could do that we couldn't do. Uh, like, for example, blue jeans. Okay? Blue jeans. I didn't have a pair of blue jeans until I was a junior in high school, and I bought them with my own money. My mom and dad called them farmer pants, so I couldn't have them. These were, these were rules, but here's the thing. They were temporary. My mother was no longer the warden when I grew up. They were there for a period of time, but after I became an adult, I no longer had that. And Paul, this is what Paul is saying. Paul says that that purpose came to an end. That purpose came to an end when Jesus Christ was, was finally revealed. Paul is saying that the law was neither positive nor negative. It was just a necessity. So let's review what we could say would be three reasons for the law. In fact, they're in your bulletin. And we'll wrap this up and see if the law applies to us today. First, here's a summary of why the law was established. Three main points. The first point is because of the hardness of their hearts. You know, our text today says it's because of transgressions, but one of the ways of looking at transgressions is because of the hardness of our hearts. It's not just idol worship, it's how we, we treat each other. 
You know, in Matthew uh, chapter 19, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? They're trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus replies, and he says, have you not read from the beginning that creator had made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Great answer, right? But they wanted to test Jesus. So they said, but then why did Moses allow for a certificate of divorce? And Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. That was not this way in the beginning. You see, the law provides the clarification that a man and a woman are supposed to be together. The law also provided a escape. The law, because of the hardness of their hearts, the Lord knew that we needed to be able to in some cases, actually have a certificate of divorce. Now, it would not be that way. If we truly loved one another, I'm saying this truthfully, if we truly loved one another, there would be no divorce. There would no need to be because both would be trying to love and encourage and respect each other. There would be no need for a divorce, but it's because of the hardness of our hearts. Another example on the hardness of our hearts uh, was, was because of vengeance. Now, in ancient Israel, and actually to this day in many societies, many cultures, the idea is that you want to get retribution. You want to have vengeance on anybody that harms you. Uh, and enforcement in ancient Israel always fell to the family. There was no police force. There was no FBI. There was no uh, local police. Each family, each tribe protected their own. In the case of murder, for example, whether the, it was intentional or accidental, uh, a close member of the family would be designated as the avenger of blood. And you can imagine what their assignment was. The law, however, regulated. And by saying regulated, meaning limited what you could do as far as retribution. You see, what would happen is this, is that if an ox you know, or, or some animal would come and maybe injure your child or maybe do some damage on your property, all of a sudden the family would rise up and wipe the other family out, right? Kill all the animals, salt the fields, and kill all the people. But the law said no. In fact, this principle in the Bible is known as an eye for an eye. This is the verse in Leviticus chapter 24. And the idea is to limit, limit retribution. It says, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury, not anything greater. The same injury. Don't, you can't wipe the whole family out. Now, this was a necessary part of the law, again, because of the hardness of their hearts. The laws also specified that monetary damage would, could be paid for killing an animal or harm to one's property. Uh, the Apostle Paul continues this in the New Testament. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. Limit retribution. In fact, it says, judgment, all judgment belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let's go on to what's considered the second reason the law is to be established. And I believe it's to keep the Jews separate from their neighbors. Now, it's interesting because the Bible never says that this was the Lord's intention. He just gives the law. You know, why do the Jews worship on Saturdays? Why can't they eat pork? Why are, why are they dressed differently? Well, the Bible never says it's to be different, but it really, that was the impact, wasn't it? 
the Jewish people were different than the rest of the people. These, these Jewish people, the people that, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they followed Yahweh. They didn't have idols. They had the one true God. There was no idol. There was no golden statue like a Buddha. It, God was God. He didn't have a statue. We weren't supposed to represent him with, with anything. You know, when the Jews went into the promised land, uh, the Lord uh, talked to, to Moses, talked to, talk to Joshua, because Joshua was going to take the people to the land. And the Lord told him they were going to wipe out the enemy. They were going to wipe out all the ites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the, the Canaanites, the Hittites. They were going to wipe them all out. And the Lord said, I want you to be very strong then so that you can keep and obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. You see, the intention was to make sure that the people would be separate. They would be different. However, we know that the Jewish people failed. And if you read the Bible, you see that it brought, it brought heartache. They didn't fully drive out the Canaanites or the Philistines, and it led to great heartache and judgment because they ended up sacrificing to these, these idols. They became just like their, their, their neighbors. Another way they were different is for 400 years, the Jews were ruled by, by judges. The rest of the people were ruled by kings. Sometimes the king was the king of a village, you know, or the king of a town or a small territory, but they were ruled by judges. And the reason was is that God was the one that was truly in charge. They were not supposed to have any other idols. They weren't supposed to have a king because they were a theocracy. God was the one. So for 400 years, they were ruled by judges. And then finally, God allowed them to have Saul. And after Saul was David, and after David was Solomon. But that came about later. Dietary laws made them separate as well. You know, there's many people that speculate why the Jewish people were not allowed to eat pork, the other white meat, right? Why weren't the Jews allowed to eat pork? And the Bible doesn't say. It just says, don't eat pork. I mean, there's a number of dietary laws, prohibitions about eating certain, eating certain things and not eating certain things, but there's no reason given other than the Lord says, it's kind of like my mom said, just don't do it, you know? This, this, is, this is the law. Now, the speculation is, of course, like trichinosis, that it, was, that it was not healthy. But the Bible doesn't say that. I think one of the reasons I did some research was that, I didn't know this, but swine, pigs, require a tremendous amount of water, a lot of water. They're not very efficient in their use of water, where chickens are, goats are. So the, the Jewish people had chicken and goats. They didn't have the pigs because they lived in a very arid area. So that very well could be. So again. Let's review. So the first reason was the hardness of their hearts, right? The second reason was to keep them separate. The third reason, I like this one, is to provide standards. Let's do it again. There we go. Provide standards that provide for worship, for order, and for morality. You know, one of the best ways to understand that is through the Ten Commandments, right? We already showed you the first two, right? The first two. No other gods, no graven images. But let's get to the rest of them, okay? This is kind of a quiz. Let's see if you remember. Uh, the, the third one, the third one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Lord's day. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of your Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your slaves, your aliens as well. Don't do any work on the Sabbath, okay? Now, by the way, this, the third and the fourth commandment are often grouped with the first two. In fact, when you think of Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments, often people think of these first four being on the first tablet. 
because their relationship between man and their God. It's how we honor God, how we worship God, how we provide honor to God through these first four commandments. The other six commandments have to do with our relationship with, with people. Let's go on with them. By the way, don't you find it interesting, talking, talking about uh, not taking the Lord your God in vain, that the common swear word for people all around the world, word is Jesus? Isn't that something? It's, it's Jesus. And nobody ever says when they hit their hand with a hammer or they do something or they fall down, they say, oh, Buddha, you know? Nobody says, oh, Buddha, you know? Or, oh, Mohammed, oh, Mohammed, you know? No. They use the word Jesus. One of my friends, I was in an elevator, and uh, somebody, somebody said, Jesus Christ. And my friend said, he's Lord. I love that. You know? I wish I would have said it. You know? Jesus Christ. It's not a swear word. That is the name of the Son of God that paid the penalty for our sin. Let's go on. The fifth one, honor your father and mother that the days may be long in the land which the Lord has given you. My mother reminded me of that commandment a lot and also reminded me that that means you get to live long because otherwise your mother will kill you, okay? <laughs> commandment number six, you shall not murder. Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, don't bear false witness. That's lying, okay? Not in court. But that also means to your friends, to your neighbor, to your spouse. Gossip is considered a violation of the ninth commandment. Um, commandment number 10 is the covets. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that is neighbor's. I got to brag on myself on this because I have never, ever coveted my neighbor's ox or his donkey. Not, not once, not once, okay? That's your pastor. That's your pastor. Not once have I ever coveted somebody's ox or his donkey. You know, there are Christians today that, that believe that we need to follow the law of Moses. The, the problem is it's a real catch-22 because where do you start and where do you end? What do you include in that and what don't you? You know, it's kind of like we're running with scissors, okay? That was, a, that was a law my mom had. You know, that makes sense to us. And the moral laws make a lot of sense. Remember I said the first four commandments are how we relate to God. The other six is how we relate to each other. Jesus summarized all of the commands by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two kind of summarize the commandment, and I love that summary. That's the idea of the moral law. We are set free from the law of sin and death, but those commandments are there basically to give us structure, to help us understand how do we worship our God and how do we relate to each other. Now, we could actually divide the law, the whole Old Testament law, into, into three different groups. The moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. So moral, ceremonial, and civil. Hebrews 9 and 10 tells us that the ceremonial laws, those are the laws of the temple, with the priest and the sacrifices and the incense and the lambs and all of, the, all of those things that have to be done. Those are ceremonial laws, and the book of Hebrews says they're no longer in effect. In fact, there's no temple there anymore. They're not even in effect for the Jewish people because they can't, can't do them anywhere. There are no priests in Israel. The civil laws of Israel apply to the nation of Israel, just like our civil laws here 
apply to the federal government as well as our state and local governments. Did you know that when the Constitution was being written, when the Declaration of Independence was being written, the book that was quoted more by our founding fathers than any other book was the Bible? We have this Judeo-Christian emphasis and ethics in our civil law. And much of our civil law today is taken from what the Old Testament says. So for example, the requirement for witnesses to be able to confront your witnesses, that's an Old Testament law. It's in our law today. The termination of guilt or innocence based on witnesses. Um, the laws for bankruptcy comes from the, law, the rule of jubilee. Marriage, divorce, age of consent. Um, again, during the foundation of our republic, as well as our local laws, we often look back to the Ten Commandments, as well as the Old Testament laws, to be able to find it. So our topic today was the purpose of the law. We see that the law played a very important role in the formation of Israel. It continues to play a very important role in our relationship to our fellow man. That's our, that's our moral law. Even though we are now under Christ and we are now free from the law of sin and death and we no longer are held in contempt by the Lord because we miss the mark, we still have the moral law to provide, provide guidance. Just be very careful where you start because once you start, it's very difficult to end. As a result, we continue on by faith knowing it's the, that the grace of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will keep us. It's the Holy Spirit, by the way, that the Bible says guards our heart. That's the same word. The Holy Spirit guards our heart and our minds until the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.